0: You're listening to Confronting Christianity, a podcast of Training the Church. If, if your pastor stands up on a Sunday and preaches his opinions, it might be interesting for a few weeks. It's not going to be interesting for
1: years. The central big questions of the human life are the big questions, no matter what house you're in while you're exploring them. Mm-hmm. They're still going to be there.
0: I think that's, that's one of the places where I probably experience doubt is, is actually, am I, like, is my faith authentic? Because it seems so puny. I'm Rebecca McLaughlin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Worley. Am I Hell getting way. it right,
1: Kyle? Nailed it, Whirly. Oh yeah, I mean, it just—gosh, it's like you're singing it, you know. I mean, it's just lovely. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for thank you for co-hosting with me, Rebecca. Thank you for having me on here. I, you could have just jumped on here and recorded this whole episode by yourself and just not even told me, and then released it to the world. That would have been. <laughs> I would we have both been so, know I
0: don't have the technical competence to do that. <laughs> no. um, you
1: could you you could have uh, collaborated with engineer Brad. I could, you know, I could but- collusion, but you did not.
0: I have a question for you, Carl. Have you watched the series, well, the show, I guess,
1: The Chosen? I've seen like clips and episodes, but I have not watched a lot of it. But everybody who watches it loves it and has spoken nothing but good things about it. And I'm just late to the game, I guess. Have you watched? I'm assuming you've watched it.
0: Yeah. So I watched season one with my husband a couple of years ago, and we had planned to watch it with our kids. Okay. So last night we sat down as a family. Uh, my kids are 12, 10, and four. And we watched the first episode of of The Chosen, season one. Um, it was mostly really great. My 10-year-old daughter, this is a common experience watching films with her, she asks a question every single second.
1: Yeah.
0: So she can't follow the film because she missed the next piece of dialogue by asking the question about what's going on. Yes. And no matter how many times I tell her that the... The storyteller is going to answer her question. <laughs> she doesn't want to wait. She wants to know now what's going on. What's happening? Why why is, why is this? Who's that? We had a, a major um, issue around Mary Magdalene. For those who've seen the first episode of The Chosen, this woman is introduced who's like evidently demon possessed. And Eliza was asking me like, who is that? I said, it's Mary Magdalene. She was like, it's not. They're calling her like Lila or Lily or something, Lilith, something different. And I was like, "Yeah, but it's Mary Magdalene." She was like, "No, it's not. It's Leela, Lineth." Major disagreement. <laughs> and then, eventually, oh. Jesus shows up and calls her Mary, and like it's evident that it is in fact Mary Magdalene all along, but she just didn't trust me.
1: But anyway, did she I'm, believe Jesus when he said? Did did she believe Jesus when he said it?
0: I th- I think she did. So you know, okay. better <laughs> that she trusts Jesus than that she trusts me. <laughs> but the reason, Fair the enough. reason, the reason I'm bringing this whole thing up is because there's a really interesting moment in that first episode where Nicodemus has tried to, like, exorcise Mary Magdalene and failed. And he, right. as a senior Pharisee, has been confronted with his incapacity. And he has this conversation with his wife where he's basically saying, I, I don't know, I, I basically don't know anything anymore. Um, I, I, I don't know that I have a proper understanding of God anymore. I don't know. Like I saw something really real today that I, I don't have a category for it. And he's having doubts. And his wife says, it's not your business to have doubts. It is your business to be a teacher. People hmm. respect you. Shut up with your doubts. Get out there. Put your teacher hat on and teach. Yeah. So I was curious, Kyle, have you as a, you know, you're not Nicodemus, but like as a, as a pastor, have you ever, have you ever had doubts
1: Yes, I have. Um, I've had doubts. I, I have had doubts. I have doubts. I, I'm sure that if we recorded this three months from now or three days from now or three weeks from now or three years from now or three hours from now, that I would say I will doubt. Hmm. I actually just yesterday after the sermon in our responsive prayer time, after the service, a young woman came up to receive prayer who is a faithful Christian who serves in the life of our church. And she just says, I I know that God is powerful, but there are some ways that this year I've just felt like the rug's been pulled out from underneath my feet and I felt Mm. cheated. And I believe he's powerful, but today I'm having a hard time believing that he's good. Mm. Mm. And I said, me too. On Saturday, I did a funeral for a beloved little five-year-old girl Mm. and for a beloved family in the life of our church and I held out hope. And there's times when that hope comes with a shout of the goodness of God. And there are sometimes where it comes with a whisper. And on mm. Saturday, all I could muster was a whisper. Mm. Uh, there are days when I can shout it. And then there are days mm. when I can whisper it. It remains true on both the days when I can say it and the days where I can't. But it is certainly the case that I have experienced profound doubt. I, uh, mm. I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but I I went off to Dallas Baptist university to do my undergrad uh, many years ago. And when I went, I I went um, to, to study the Bible. It was a Mm. liberal arts, Christian liberal arts school. And I went there to study the Bible. Um, But when I got there, I was immediately confronted uh, with some significant doubts about the truthfulness of what I had learned in growing up and, the substance of my beliefs and what was really true, good, and beautiful. And uh, I switched my major almost immediately to philosophy because um, mm. I wanted uh, what I thought would be an objective look into mm. the, uh, the substance of what was really true and really good and really lovely. And um, there was a large portion of my time whenever I was in uh, college that was met with significant doubts um, of me just trying to humbly – Approach um, the 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 big questions of life, and uh, mm-hmm, that's never mm-hmm. stopped for me. So mm. yes, I have, I am, and I will experience doubts. What about mm. you? Have you ever experienced profound doubt?
0: It's funny. I I don't know that I have experienced the. Uh, this is going to. I'm not quite sure how to form this well. The conventional kind of doubt, in the sense that. I know a lot of people will experience doubts around a particular issue. You know, for instance, um, has science disproved Christianity? You know, being right, exposed right, right. to um, discoveries of modern science and feeling like it poorly aligned with what they were raised in church hearing, and, and you know, feeling like there's an area of doubt, or or maybe it's around the scriptures and and feeling like they were they were taught one view of the scriptures, and then as they've kind of dug more, um, looked more closely at that um, the evidence for the authenticity of the scriptures in different ways that that's like caused them to doubt. I I don't feel like I have experienced that sort of, I guess, intellectual doubt in the same way. Not because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about issues, but perhaps perhaps because I've always been engaging with like really smart non-believers and kind of hearing, I guess... That there wasn't a period of my Christian life when I I wasn't I didn't feel like my faith was under attack um, intellectually mm-hmm. and therefore it sort of grew, like, grew in that furnace rather than yeah. kind of being insulated and then suddenly like hitting the fires. yeah I think the place where I experienced doubt is almost deeper in the sense of, I mean, I'm, I'm reading through the book of Revelation at the moment and I'm trying to read it like slowly and seriously rather than... In the past, honestly, as I read Revelation, I've just been like, you know, let's read through Revelation and like check it off my list. But I haven't really paused and reflected on what this book is saying. Yeah. And one of the, the things that, that's been evident to me as I've done that is the, the fearfulness of God, mm-hmm. um, the, the holiness of God, Yes. my own inadequacy, -hmm. I guess in some, uh, there are times when I doubt my faith in the sense of my faith is so puny. My life is so comfortable. I'm not one of the martyrs who's like under the throne crying out, How long, oh Lord? And in Revelation, what I'm seeing is like there are the people who've come through the great tribulation and then there are the people who are facing judgment. And, And there doesn't seem to be a like massive category of very comfortable. You know, people with nice houses and plenty of food, and, you know, all the stuff that, that honestly, you and I in many ways have. Like, I think that's, that's one of the places where I probably experience doubt is, is actually, am I, am I like, is my faith authentic because it seems
1: so puny? Yeah. No, I think that's, I, I think that's a common. I think that's a commonplace of doubt. And I think it would be good because I, one of the things about talking about doubting, and one of the reasons I was really eager for us to have this as one of our questions this season, is because um, when we begin to talk honestly about our doubts, and I mm-hmm. think this is true Christian or non-Christian, regardless of somebody's faith background, but particularly for those in the Christian community, when we begin to talk honestly about our doubts, we began to realize that doubting is a universal experience in mm-hmm. one way, shape, or form or another. It's very common because our hearts are feeble and frail and they're fickle. And the circumstances of the of a broken and beautiful world uh, just mean that oftentimes we're, we're tossed to and fro around doubts. And so mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to talk about it. I, I've experienced the very same doubt that you just have addressed. I, one of the things that I, I told you that I think surprised you uh, we, I forget what conversation this was in. It was probably off air is I, I just told you, I, I, I really am not a very hopeful person, mm-hmm. just like at a core level. I have, to really, I have to really strive in prayer for hope. I've got to ask God to give me hope. It's not a native impulse at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. for me. And, a, and a, a huge reason for that is just the, the breaks, you might say, or the hurdles of daily doubt for me. Um, and uh, if I knock one of them over, it it only sets into course a set of domino reactions yeah. for a number of other doubts, some of which I am not even aware that I carry with me. Yeah. I, they yeah. they just begin to arise and show up. Um, and, you know, I'd be curious, Rebecca, you know, you and I have both circulated in waters among people who have questions about the faith or who are skeptical or people who are participating meaningfully in the Christian story and thanks to God's great grace and yet are struggling Mm -hmm. with doubts. What what do you think are some of the common places of doubt? I mean, I think you've mentioned one and I think I I mentioned indirectly just the doubt around the goodness of God. That certainly seems to be a place that's, that's common for people to experience doubt. But where are there other places where you feel like, oh, that does seem to be a place where, it's not unusual to find doubt expressed.
0: Yeah, I think there are there are ways in which there can be almost a, a, a morally driven sense of doubt that arises either on the one hand from hypocrisy and abuse in the church and you know the ways that we've seen that on the like big stage and on small stages through the centuries to for, for people who feel disillusioned with Christianity because of what they've seen happening morally with the the ways that the Christians have behaved. I feel like that's sort of one big moral source of doubt. I think another, which probably kind of hit, hits me more immediately, not to, I don't mean that to sound dismissive of of the kind of concerns of hypocrisy and abuse and, and sin among Christians at all, but just kind of emotionally the, the another angle that hits me is the offensiveness of the gospel when it comes to the fate of, of non-believers who who we might look at and say, well, th- this person is much nicer than I am. Like, this is a, a kind, generous human being. Can I really say that they are facing the judgment of God because they're apart from Christ?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's probably, for me, the area where the sort of moral doubt feels yeah. fiercest, actually.
1: No, I agree. and 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 I do think that... Doubt is one of those things that, at least I find it to be in my own life, I don't want to speak for everyone, but doubt is one of those things to where there's typically kind of at its core or at its root, particularly when we're thinking about matters of the faith or in relationship to God, that there is typically a real reckoning that must take place with some key truth about who God is. Hmm or what God has said, or what God has done. And I often find that it is more fruitful for me to engage with doubts when I go straight to those questions Hmm. than it is for me to engage with the number of kind of ways that doubt can manifest itself. Because Mm -hmm. doubt does show up often in a myriad ways. And if you kind of go out putting out little flickers and embers of doubt one by mm-hmm. one they just keep multiplying you can't you can't quench them fast enough when oftentimes any doubt is really an invitation and that's usually my first encouragement to people when they when they're honest about their doubts is that doubt is an invitation the question is what is it an invitation to yeah because oftentimes people if they've been raised in religious backgrounds when they experience doubt, their their impulse can be to squelch it and dismiss it mm. as quickly as possible, or defeat it. Let me and, and you know we we operate in kind of apologetics adjacent worlds, which are d- about the defense of God. And you're constantly, you know, there's always these kinds of like arguments of like, okay, we just got to defeat the doubt as fast mm. as possible. And I don't want to deify doubt. I think that some of the Foibles and pitfalls of the current deconstruction, ex-evangelicalism, space kind of deified doubt. They make it into mm-hmm. a necessary good. And I don't know that that's how doubt is spoken of in scriptures. I don't think it is. And at the same time, I don't think that the immediate response to I'm experiencing doubt should be for somebody to come in, for you to be like, great, I got to read a book and defeat this doubt. I need to talk to my pastor so they can defeat this doubt. I need to go talk to the strongest Christian I know so that they can defeat this doubt. It's like, no, no, no. This doubt is an invitation. But what is an invitation to
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and in, in that sense, I think it can be somewhat parallel to the besetting sins and struggles that we have in in our lives. I had a, a really helpful to me conversation with a, a friend a few months ago where I was, I was describing to her a kind of psychological process I have to like coach myself through at times when I'm experiencing experiencing certain kinds of insecurity, and I was saying to her, "It's really frustrating. Like, I feel like." I don't have to do this. Like, I feel like I want to kind of graduate beyond me, you know, having an instinctive reaction in a situation, having to kind of go through this like self coaching process Mm -hmm. to, to get myself out of there. I want to be done with that. I want to be like, you know, graduated. Yeah. And she just, you know, kindly and helpfully said to me, I think that you may just always have to do that. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. Like actually, you may always find find yourself at times in situations where a piece of data hits you, you kind of take it in a certain way, and then you have to go, wait a minute, this is I I'm going into this sort of mental place that isn't the right place to be in, and I need to sort of work my way through it, like do the do the reps, as it were, to kind of to to reorient myself. Maybe that's what I'll be doing when I'm 50, 60, 70, 80. Like, and that's okay. Uh, yeah. there's an extent to which uh, we we may live with different kinds of of doubts and challenges throughout our lives, and as you as you point out, much as I want immediately to just like rid myself of all my kind of psychological baggage, as well as all my doubts, as well as all mm. suffering, you know, I'd much rather kind of not have them. Actually, those places of need and and struggle are places where we can cry out to God. That's right. And actually, when things are just comfortable and just going smoothly, and we've kind of got all our ducks in a row, it's easy to become self sufficient and not not to cry out to the Lord for for the help that we need.
1: And, you know, I think it's clear that we find doubt in the Bible. I mean, Mm. uh, we find, gosh, it doesn't take. Sin enters the world and people immediately begin to start doubting, <laughs> you mm. know? Uh, Adam and Eve immediately doubt God's goodness when they hide from him. They doubt mm-hmm. God's graciousness when they hide from him, right? They doubt God's knowledge when they hide from him. Like, they doubt God's word Yeah. when they hide from him. I mean, like, all of those things immediately start doubting. I mean, they, they could not possibly believe that God would know where they're at if they're hiding mm. behind the trees in the garden, but he knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He knows. He knows immediately. He doesn't need to be mm-hmm. told. And then they couldn't possibly believe that God would be gracious even in the face of their rebellion. And so mm-hmm. they, they're putting loincloths over themselves, right? They mm-hmm. couldn't possibly believe that God could cover them, so they cover themselves. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the things we see almost immediately in the story of the Bible, literally in most people's Bible, you, you turn one very thin papery page over and you're getting— a real picture of how does God deal with doubt? Mm. And that unfolds yeah. over the yeah. whole of the Bible. I mean, I don't know if there are any places that come to mind for you, Rebecca, in scripture yeah. where you feel like, well, doubt, there, there there's a picture of doubt being brought into God or brought to God.
0: Well, it's it's funny. The, the thing that sprang to mind actually was the example of Peter hmm, yeah. who— what Peter lacked was was self doubt. Actually, <laughs> like yeah. he was, you know, he was the guy. Um, that that sequence of Peter saying to Jesus, like Jesus saying, "You're you're going to fall away from me." Yeah. Peter saying, "No, no, 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 no." Like all these other guys, yeah, not me. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to die with you. Right. And Jesus saying, "You have no idea. You're going to deny me, even knowing me three times before the night is over." And, and you know. Peter says, "No way." And then, like Jesus takes him with James and John um, deep into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter falls asleep. Like it's the (laughs) the sort of he doubts Jesus's diagnosis of his own spiritual condition. Um, He he refuses to believe the words that Jesus speaks of him, and yet he's still the one who Jesus kind of calls in that incredible passage at the end of. Of John's Gospel, where he sort of reinstates Peter rather than saying, "Sorry, dude, you know you were Plan A, but I'm definitely finding someone else to step into your shoes now right. that you've completely failed me." And he doesn't. So I, yeah, I think that reminder that Jesus actually knows and anticipates our overestimation of ourselves, our mm-hmm. underestimation of Him, our, our fear and and our and our doubt and our, our struggle to really believe that what he says is true and and that his death and resurrection are the center of all things. he like he knows that about us. yeah it's not surprise it's not a surprise to him. and he is is holding us and and working in us and even through us in the midst of that is is extraordinary.
1: That's right. I mean, and, and Peter is an incredible example. You know, on the other side, you have Thomas, right? Mm. Which is almost, I mean, he is like the patron saint of doubting. <laughs>
0: right, right. Right, Close where Thomas. Thomas
1: is like, I just don't believe that the Lord Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He doesn't mm. believe that Jesus is there. He, he saw Jesus die. He's heard of the death of Jesus. He's utterly convinced that Christ is not risen. Mm. And even in the very presence of Jesus, like when Jesus is standing right in front of him, when he's come into Thomas's field of vision, his very presence, even then we see how tender God is with his doubts in that mm. he Jesus says, like, touch me. Mm. Like, put your hands on me. Like, that's a kind of kindness that we see the Lord Jesus extend to Thomas Mm. that we don't often believe that God is extending to us. Yeah. Yeah. And we experience shame as a result of doubts or despair as a result of doubt or paralysis as a result of doubt. And yet in the midst of it, God is using that moment or season of doubt to invite us not to say, Go away from me, figure this out, and then come Mm -hmm. back to me when you've got it, but actually come closer to me.
0: Yeah. yeah. Doubt
1: is doubt in the spiritual life is always an invitation into greater nearness to God. Mm -hmm. Now, it is not always gratifying. It's not the route we would pick, it's not the path we would choose, but it is one of the old paths, so to speak, into greater intimacy with God. And it's not just something you see in the witness of scripture, though. I, I, it is incredible just how prevalent it is. We've given you three examples the garden, Peter, and Thomas. But we could point to the prayers of the psalmist. We could point to the entire book of Ecclesiastes, arguably. We <laughs> could point to Lamentations. We could point to almost the beginning of every one of the prophet's journeys, but specifically Habakkuk. Mm. You could think you could point to Jonah. You could point to Abraham, who's called out of Ur and immediately doubts the power of God when met with the rulers of the land, telling them his wife is actually his sister. Why? Because he doesn't <laughs> believe God. God will protect them in the face of a regional warlord. I mean, like it's, it's everywhere. Mm. It's everywhere. It's Moses with the rock, right? Striking the rock to not believe that God would provide the water uh, that the people needed. I mean, it, God inviting his people, even the people we, we classify as like the heroes of the story
0: yeah,
1: into bringing their doubt into his very presence is it's pervasive. It's all over the story of Scripture.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jesus saying to calling his disciples like, "You have a little faith." Yes. <laughs> like that's his kind of his
1: right.
0: his nickname for them, and saying, "Listen, if you even had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could be moving mountains." Here, mm-hmm. like it's the bar is the bar is low in terms of our our faith. Actually, yes, you know, we're we are the little faith ones. We are. I, I think what's what's maybe. Uh, I de- shielded me from doubt is the wrong is the wrong expression, but just uh, kind of going back to earlier in our conversation where I was saying, I think there are certain kinds of doubt I haven't I haven't wrestled with in the same way that that some some have, is because I, I feel like it's been really clear to me for a really long time that I am not choosing between faith in the res- the crucified and resurrected Jesus and a kind of perfectly coherent like secular worldview hmm. that does all you know that that. Is, is, you know, rational and logical and does all the work that Christianity does, except without the crazy stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that's often the mistake people make is they think, you know, gosh, it takes a lot of faith to be a Christian. It does. But, but we are, we're choosing between Jesus and utter pointlessness.
1: Yeah, say more about that because I do think that that is often the way that the divide is communicated. Is okay if you're going to be a Christian, then wow, there are some real issues that you're going to have to grapple with that are very hard and very difficult. But if you're not a Christian, then you're kind of exempt from grappling with those. But that that's a yeah that is certainly a false bill of goods. That's not actually the way it works out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the biggest challenges that that folks today have who um are wanting to hold on to a sort of materialist, like atheist view of the world that says, you know, science is really our source for truth. And we don't, you know, we don't need religious truth to kind of speak into to who we are. One of the biggest challenges for those folks is that on the one hand, you know, they, they want to hold tightly onto science and on the other hand, typically they want to hold tightly onto the idea that all human beings are like fundamentally valuable and morally equal and that you know, universal human rights is a sort of self-evident moral truth and the poor and the, the weak and the marginalised shouldn't be um, brutalised and oppressed by the rich and the strong and the powerful. Like the, These kinds of things, or the equality of men and women, Like oh, there, there are certain moral beliefs they want to hold on to. But, but if, if science is our only source of truth... Science can't give us any of those things. Like, all it can give us is a sort of diagnostic of the human condition as, you know, we are at best mammals. Um, you know, we're atoms and molecules gathered in a certain configuration for a certain period of time, destined to be fertilizer. Uh, the, you know, as Richard Dawkins puts it, the universe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is a bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Mm. And I think, I think that's right. I think that is the alternative. And maybe it's true. Maybe there is no real identity to you and me. Maybe Kyle Worley is just a bunch of atoms and molecules and, and I'm just a you know mixture of, of chemicals and whatnot. Not to say we aren't that. I'm not saying like, the, the scientific analysis of this is incorrect. Like I think phys- like science can tell us physically what we are. But if we depend on science for our whole understanding of who we are and how we should relate to each other we have only mm-hmm. brutality and pointlessness yeah we don't have human rights we don't have equality we don't have love yeah. we we have biology and that's it
1: yeah and so it, 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 it even if it settles in one's mind like a set of doubts like mm. you know i've got yeah, doubts right. about the existence of god or whatever that if you reach this kind of, like you're saying, materialistic, secular conclusion, it it, it should, if you're being consistent, open up another Pandora's box of potential opportunities to go, well, if that's the case, then what about A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, all the way down a whole taxonomy of potential doubts. And I I do think that that's a really significant point. And I want to, just circle it for a second because what Rebecca is saying is often, and this is um, this is not like because people are naive or dumb and Rebecca and I are certainly not saying, well, we've kind of figured the game out and you haven't. That's not at all what, what's being said here. But I do think that for any of us, it is very tempting when in the face of a set of doubts that can feel very personal and significant mm. for us to go, well, if I just kind of jumped the ship Like if Mm -hmm. I just kind of left, then all of that would be absolved and I wouldn't really deal with that any longer. But the the central big questions of the human life are the big questions, no matter what house you're in while you're exploring them, Mm -hmm. they're still going to be there. Like if you look at the history of ideas, you'll find in the most significant philosophical, artistic, creative exploration throughout human history, are all circling the same big questions mm. from a variety of perspectives. And it is a, it, it testifies uh, and speaks to the reality that whether you explore them from the house of Christianity or the house of Islam or the house of Buddhism or the house of fascism or the house of socialism or the house of free market economics, you are still going to end up exploring the same set of big questions and each one of them is going to potentially give you the appearance of absolving all doubts anywhere and everywhere. And none of them do that. So the question is where do you find a stable foundation that honors and invites your doubt as a part of the path towards truth? goodness and beauty. And I don't think there is, well, I, well I'll say let me say it more definitively. I know there is not a more inviting story than the Christian gospel that says God, because of his great grace, has moved towards you in love. He knows you don't have it all figured out, and he's not holding that against you. He is giving you a stable foundation to move forward in seeking understanding. And that journey can last you a whole life, and it leads all the way to heaven for those in Christ. And I think there's good reason to believe that that story is true. And I think that there's plenty of reason to find that story more beautiful than it's competitors.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, I love the moment in the Gospels when uh, a lot of people have just left Jesus. You mm. know, he's had these big crowds and then they hear some more of his teaching. They're like, uh, I don't think so. They've gone. And Jesus turns around to, to his sort of core group of disciples and says, you know, what about you guys? Are you leaving too? And then Peter says, where else are we to go? You have the words of eternal life. And I often think of, of that moment where would I jump to? <laughs> like, where else have I to go aside from Jesus and, and the, the promise that he offers? And I love how incredibly personal Jesus is in his application of that, that truth and that invitation in the Gospels. You know, we see the things that Jesus says to the crowds and that he says to sort of his disciples writ large. And then we see the things that he says to individuals you, know, you were talking earlier about Peter, um, sorry, Thomas and, and Jesus' invitation to him, like, hey, put your fingers in, in the holes of my hands and s- shove your hand in my side. Um, or I think of his conversation with with Martha of Bethany, right, you know, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, her brother. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, will live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says, Do you believe this? You know, do you, Martha mm-hmm. of Bethany, in this moment With tears in your eyes, as you mourn for your brother, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Yeah. It's a very personal invitation that Jesus gives.
1: That's right. You know, Rebecca, if someone is listening to this episode and they're experiencing or they have experienced deep doubts about who God is, what God has done, how God is inviting them to live in the way of Jesus with all that that entails, how would you encourage them? So they clicked on this episode because they're going, yeah, I do have doubts and I really don't know what to do with them.
0: What Mm. would you say to them? The the first thing I would say is, are you a regular committed member of a local church? And I know that's an odd way to respond. You know, I know some folks will say, well, well, either they say, yes, I've been saved for years and that's why I have doubts. You know, the church has mm-hmm. disillusioned me. Mm-hmm. Or some folks might say, well, that, how is that addressing my, my questions, um, my issues? I think it's very easy for us in our sort of 21st century Western culture to expect to experience Christianity purely individually. And I was talking yep. a second ago about the, the incredibly personal invitation that Jesus extends to each of us, mm-hmm. not at the corporate level, but at the individual level. And yet at the same time, Jesus relates to his people corporately and that the, the best place for us to explore our doubts is actually not just by ourselves in a coffee shop all day long. It is actually in the context of community with God's people. And so so I want to be bringing my, the, the moments when my faith feels extraordinarily flimsy, I, I need to be bringing that to brothers and sisters in Christ That's right. who know me well and who, who can speak, who can help me sift, through the different pieces of how I'm relating to something emotionally. Cause honestly, we humans, and there's a lot of kind of psychological data to support this, we think that we mostly process things rationally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we tend to think that our our doubt, like, you know, our, our doubts are kind of intellectually formed. Actually we process most things emotionally and socially. And so the people who know us well and who are walking alongside us are in the best position to help us just kind of tease those different pieces out and say, you know, Kyle, are you, to what extent are you experiencing this particular doubt because of this personal circumstance? And so let's, let's make sure that we're attending to that personal circumstance, not just reading the book, you know, that that we're kind of doing, doing that both and, and that we're doing it in the context of community um, and in the context of of the local church, which is for, for every Christian is our primary family Mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're never going to flourish apart from that.
1: Yep. That is exactly what I would say. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. I mean, I think a number of years ago, I would have pointed them to 15 books on the topic they were exploring. Uh, I would have said, let's grab coffee and talk for a couple hours, which I I love to do. I'd be glad to do that. But my number one thing when I tell people is uh, the church is the household of God. And a local church is a is one of those outposts. And they are by design a place for those with doubts to continue um, to live in the presence of God among those who are striving to live in the presence of God. And that God has a big enough heart to welcome them into his presence, even with the deepest doubts that they harbor. And there is no better place to explore doubts about God than in conversation with God. And there is no better place to be in conversation with God than in the household of faith. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I would second and amen exactly everything that you just said there. Listen, if you are somebody who's listening to this podcast Uh, and you're experiencing doubts, we're really glad that you're listening to this show. We've already gotten feedback from listeners from the first season that are saying as much that they are working through the show as they work through some of their own doubts and questions. Maybe you don't have doubts or questions because you feel like your mind is already fairly settled uh, that Christianity offers something that you don't really want to be a part of. Uh, Rebecca and I would like you to hear from us that we implore you for the sake of Christ to be reconciled to God, that we have Come to uh, saving faith, not because Rebecca and I are real smart and we have the answers to all these questions. We're exploring these things like you are. And God is inviting all of us into this journey of exploration alongside Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And so, if this podcast is helpful to you, we're truly grateful for that. It is never going to be an adequate substitute for life together with other brothers and sisters in that journey. Uh, And we would really commend you to a local church to be a place where you can make that journey alongside some other people in that place with one another.
0: Yeah, and just to to add one note to that, find a local church that is faithfully teaching through the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I've had a, a number of interesting conversations in the last few years with with friends who have have left, you know, evangelical churches for for want of a better word, or you know, let's churches that are teaching through the Bible. would be my hope for evangelical churches at least and and they've they've left because of a particular moral issue that they felt um they couldn't align with um, their their previous church on and they've gone to a church that affirmed their beliefs in that area but over time they've just become very bored
1: Mm.
0: because do you know what (laughs) at the end of the day pastors aren't that interesting And, and if because honestly, I like none of us are that, and I'm not just like casting aspersions on pastors. No offense to you, Carl, and your your brothers in um in pastoral ministry. If if your pastor stands up on a Sunday, and preaches his opinions, it might be interesting for a few weeks. It's not going to be interesting for years. <laughs> like actually, mm-hmm. I've had people kind of say to me, "Gosh, I've I've just got really really bored. I've got tired of what I've been hearing."
1: Yeah.
0: And it's because they haven't been hearing from the Lord. Uh, if, we're not, if we're not teaching from the scriptures, we're not hearing from the Lord. Yep. And he is frankly far more compelling than anyone else is, is going to be. And so, so find a church that is seeking imperfectly, but as, as faithfully as they know how, to, to preach through the Bible um, and, and to get access to the words of eternal
1: life through that. That's right. Well, we thank you for jumping into this conversation with us today. Uh, if you want to find Confronting Christianity online, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. If you leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, uh, include a question that you'd want us to explore in a future episode uh, in that review, and we'd be happy to c- take it under consideration as we do our Q&A episodes at the end of every season. If you want to find out more about what's going on at trainthechurch.com for podcasts, then you can go to trainthechurch.com slash support, and we would love to give you some more information about the other podcasts on our network. network and some ways you can jump in to making that possible. I really would commend to you some of our sister shows. If you haven't had a chance to check out family discipleship podcast, Adam Griffin, Chelsea Griffin, and Cassie Bryant are doing really wonderful work, incredibly helpful on how to disciple your kiddos and disciple students. And so whether you work with students or you work with kids or your parents, or you aspire to be parents one day then uh, you should check out uh, Family Discipleship Podcast. They have some great topics, great guests this season. Thank you for being a part of this episode. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.